0: Hello and welcome. This is the Book of Acts by Word Online. Hello and welcome to this episode in series two. We're well into series two now in the Book of Acts as we look at the story of the early church as they move beyond Jerusalem to the surrounding districts known as Judea and Samaria. And we saw that the dramatic martyrdom of Stephen was the event that triggered this process of persecution and scattering and we've been following the story in the last couple of episodes as the Christian believers travel north to the district of Samaria and we noticed that Philip went with them, one of the early leaders in the church and a gifted evangelist who preached amongst the Samaritans and then we saw that they received the Holy Spirit when Peter and John the Apostles came from Jerusalem to confirm Philip's message and to consolidate the church. And then in the last episode we saw uh, the challenge presented by an occultist, a practitioner of witchcraft by the name of Simon the Magician, who came into the church but wasn't a true believer and his motives were exposed by Peter and John as the church moved forward in Samaria. So we're now gonna follow the story as it takes a different turn. And this uh, is brought about through Philip as an individual. We've already noticed that he's a gifted communicator. Acts 21 verse eight describes him as an evangelist somebody whose primary gift is communicating the faith to other people. He's been very successful in Samaria, but now in a remarkable way, God directs him to reach out with the Gospel in a completely different context for very strategic reasons. It's a very remarkable story. And it concerns an Ethiopian man who is a representative of uh, one member of the royal family of the country of Ethiopia and so we'll follow this famous story uh, stage by stage as we just read through this extraordinarily dramatic account and this remarkable miracle of conversion. Acts 8 verses 26 to 29. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means the Queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, And on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Well, this remarkable account starts with the presence of an angel. And as I've stated in previous episodes, angels appear from time to time in the book of Acts, as of course they do elsewhere in the New Testament, in the Gospels. And here is another occasion where an angel comes to intervene to help the advance of the church. I noted in a previous episode that the four main reasons for the intervention of angels noted in the book of Acts are, first of all, sometimes to rescue the followers of Jesus, for example, from prison. Secondly, to bring a revelation or an insight. And thirdly, for guidance, which is the case here. And fourthly, to act as agents of God's judgment against the enemies of the church, as for example, in the story of King Herod Agrippa recorded later on in the book of Acts. Here, an angel comes as a guide, The angel gave Philip the message that he should travel in a completely different direction to a different place. Philip had started in Jerusalem, and he'd he'd gone north. Samaria is north of Jerusalem. But Gaza is south of Jerusalem by uh, about (coughs) 60 kilometers, and it's by the sea and it's in the opposite direction. But the angel encourages Philip to move in the opposite direction and to head down this road. Now, this was a main road. I've been on this road from Jerusalem to Gaza, into the city of Gaza myself, and as I travelled along this road in modern times, I was thinking about this incident and also the fact that this was a major trade route, much Trades and many goods passed through the land of Israel from the north to the south, from the south to the north. To the north were prosperous countries like Phoenicia and other countries to the north, and to the south was the very wealthy country of Egypt. And Israel was the only way through, and there was a major trade route down going through Gaza which headed directly along the desert path into northern Egypt and the River Nile. So lots and lots of people were traveling on this road, and this would have been the road that anybody coming from Ethiopia would have headed up to Jerusalem. Ethiopia, of course, is south of Egypt in Africa. And so this road is the place that the angel is directing Philip to go down, and I wonder what Philip thought, just go down this road for 60 kilometers and see what happens? I mean, it's a strange thing, isn't it? But he was obedient. He knew it was an angel speaking to him, and he knew that something significant would happen. And then the Ethiopian is introduced to us, this man is a eunuch, in other words, he's been castrated, which happens not in Jewish society, but in other cultures of the day, particularly. Uh, Sometimes as an act of punishment, but often in order to prepare people for service as civil servants or royal officials so that they would present no sexual threat to the women in authority or the women in royal households or their husbands. And so this Ethiopian is a senior official for the queen mother of the Ethiopian royal family. And she had an official role with executive power and obviously had significant financial resources. So this is an important man. He is not Jewish, so he's a non-Jewish person, a Gentile, but for some reason he's gone up to Jerusalem to worship at the temple. Why is that? Well, In Egypt, where he would travel through regularly and probably in northern Ethiopia, there were Jewish communities at this time. There were large Jewish communities in Egypt. And so in some way, this Ethiopian had connected to the Jewish faith, probably in Egypt. And he would have come across the version of the Hebrew Scriptures or the Old Testament used by the Egyptian Jews, which was known as the Septuagint, it was written in the Greek language rather than in the Jewish Hebrew language, the original language of the Scriptures. Now, this man probably read Greek, and so he was able to access the Old Testament. He was an educated man, presumably, Um, working, of course, in the court. And so he was able to read the Jewish scriptures and clearly become very interested in the Jewish faith, the Jewish God, and all the promises of the prophets. And so this is probably why he's on a visit to Jerusalem, because everybody knew if you're interested in the Jewish faith, you need to go to the capital city where you'll find the temple. And there you can watch the sacrifices, or worship, or just observe what is going on. So this man is a seeker. He knows a certain amount. He's been looking, but he hasn't yet found the truth. And in an extraordinary turn of events, As he's traveling along, it turns out that he's reading the Old Testament at a very significant point. Acts 8, verses 30 to 35. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I? he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants for his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. What an extraordinary event this is. Because this Ethiopian who's obviously studying the Jewish scriptures in the Greek language, is pondering the truths uh, of those scriptures at the very moment that Philip comes. This is really divine providence, isn't it? That such an event should be happening at exactly that moment. And not only was he reading the scriptures, but he was reading a very important prophet who prophesied significantly about Jesus, that's Isaiah. And not only was he reading Isaiah, he was reading the most important passage in the book of Isaiah, in terms of predicting the details of Jesus's ministry. That's absolutely remarkable. And all this came about because Philip obeyed the voice of the angel and went down a road Probably on his own, going away from Jerusalem, away from his work, away from his friends, away from his family, not knowing what he was going to find. He didn't know whether he had to go to Gaza and go down to Egypt. He'd no idea what was going to happen next. But this event happened on the journey between Jerusalem and Gaza. And so. In order to understand what Philip said to the Ethiopian, I'm going to turn to Isaiah 53 uh, in the Old Testament. And I'm going to look at this passage in context. Now, in the book of Isaiah, there are a series of prophecies that occur uh, in the middle and towards the end of the book that are known as the servant of the Lord prophecies, where Isaiah uses a particular expression, the servant of the Lord, to describe an individual person who was going to come into the life of Israel and have a unique transforming function in the nation of Israel and for the nations of the world. And he's known in these passages as the servant of the Lord. The first one is in Isaiah 42, verses 1 to 9. The second, Isaiah 49, verses 1 to 7. The third, Isaiah 50, verses 4 to 9. But it's the fourth one that concerns us because that's the one we're going to talk about now. This is a very long passage. It starts in Isaiah 52, verse 12, and continues to Isaiah Fifty-three, verse 12. It's one of the most astonishing prophecies in the whole of the Old Testament because not only does it predict that there'll be a human individual, a representative of God, who's going to come and have a transformative effect on Israel and the nations, but it predicts remarkably and surprisingly that when this person comes, he will experience a tragic, terrible, Suffering death. Now, this is not the image of a deliverer that you would imagine. This servant of the Lord is going to be a suffering servant, somebody who comes to suffer and also who will rise again from the dead. All these things are in this passage. Let's just read a few verses. Verses 4 to 9 of Isaiah 53. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. Hundreds of years before Jesus came, Isaiah wrote these words which so accurately described Jesus dying, but the verses tell us that it was in a substitutionary way. He died for us. Verse 5, he was pierced for our transgressions, and was crushed for our iniquities, the punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. This is the doctrine of substitution and the doctrine of atonement. His death was in our place, and he took upon himself the sin, transgression, iniquity, the wrongdoing of all of us. Now, this is the message that Isaiah is communicating hundreds of years before Jesus in a remarkable way that the Jews found very, very difficult to understand. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So this gave Philip plenty to talk to the Ethiopian about, explaining who Jesus was, what his death meant. But verses 10 and 11 tell us something else. Really important in Isaiah 53. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. For after he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. Verse 11, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. A reference to the fact that this suffering servant who died would also come back to life. So we have the truth of the resurrection also written into this prophetic text in the book of Isaiah in a remarkable way that is astonishing to consider. And so Philip had plenty to talk to the Ethiopian about. He could explain to him that he was on the right track to to be seeking the Jewish God. He could explain to him that he was on the right track to read the Old Testament, but he could explain to him that the Old Testament pointed to Jesus Christ. And this is the, the way that the early church consistently approach people who knew the Old Testament by saying it points to Jesus Christ in so many ways. And we've seen that in the book of Acts in a number of other episodes, as for example, in Peter's preaching uh, on the day of Pentecost, where three major prophecies are quoted by Peter. So Philip is evangelizing this man as they're trundling along their chariots, gradually getting closer to Gaza. And the Ethiopian is deeply moved. He can hardly believe what's happening to him. He's been looking and now he's finding. He's been waiting and now the time has come. He's been hoping that he'd find this God and now this God has found him. Through this amazing man who appeared from nowhere on the road, came running up to his chariot and jumped on board. Not something that anybody would do. He must have had a bit of courage to do that. But the Ethiopian's heart is warmed, his mind is open. He really is amazed to hear that this prophecy has been fulfilled. He's been in Jerusalem and he would have heard about the Christian church in the city of Jerusalem, because the news was everywhere. He would have heard about Jesus, but it would have been confusing to him. He needed an interpreter. He needed someone to explain things to him. And Philip came and fulfilled that function in a magnificent way. So he believed. And then the next dramatic thing comes up in the next three verses, verse 36 to 38. As they travelled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. There aren't many watering holes on the road from Jerusalem to Gaza, because you're heading into the desert. It's very arid conditions, but of course there are watering holes where camels and the animals and humans can stop and uh, be refreshed and drink. And so the Ethiopian, having heard the message, and he'd heard about baptism as the entry point, uh, decided that He couldn't wait because how long was Philip going to be with him and what happens when he gets back to Ethiopia? There's no one there to baptise him. There's no believers there yet. And he thought this all through in those few moments in the chariot as they were going along and thought, now is the time. So they got down And this act of baptism took place. I've no idea what the people thought who were there traveling along the road, the fellow travelers seeing this religious act of immersion going on in the pool, where those acts were normally reserved for sacred pools in temples such as in Jerusalem and elsewhere. But here on the side of the dusty road, in the hustle and bustle of a major trade route, with hundreds of people going backwards and forwards and camels jostling for space by the watering hole, a miraculous action took place. Philip baptized the Ethiopian in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit a very moving account. And so the Ethiopian travelled on. But what of Philip? Was he heading to Ethiopia? No, he wasn't. Verses 39 and 40. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and travelled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Well, the Ethiopian was happy even though he would have been sad that Philip had gone. He knew that this was a miraculous moment in his life. He knew that God had revealed himself in a remarkable way. That may be your experience, that it's through supernatural events that you have come to believe in Christ. Well, the Ethiopian is someone you can identify with, knowing that uh, for him, he'd never have become a Christian unless God had intervened in this remarkable way. But Philip goes down to the coastal Jewish area, slightly north of Gaza, and travels up north along the coast of the country until he ends up in the northern seaport and Roman capital city of Caesarea, where he stops and he stays. And later on in the book of Acts, we find he's living there and his family is there. And uh, Paul meets his family in another context. But that is a story for another day. What kind of reflections can we make from this remarkable passage? Well, a comment about Philip. He has been described as an evangelist in the Book of Acts. And he's appeared now uh, in four different contexts as an evangelist, in Samaria, on the road to Gaza, on the towns of the West Coast, and then up in Caesarea. A gifted man, I wonder if you're gifted with that ability to communicate the Christian faith easily and simply to people and they respond. Let me encourage you, model your life on Philip, some of the ways he operated, some of his flexibility and his commitment to reach people in different contexts. My second reflection is about the Bible in our own language. It was tremendously important to the Ethiopian to have that translation of the Jewish Hebrew scriptures in Greek. And that was the, the point of meeting between him and Philip. That was where they could read together and study together because the text was in a language that he could understand. Very, very few non-Jews read or understood Hebrew in the ancient world. They needed translations. And So Bible translations remain incredibly important in our modern world and we've made tremendous progress with them in the last century, but there are still some languages where the translation of the Bible is taking place. It's a key to modern missions. My third observation is about the Ethiopian church. Tradition suggests that it is the Ethiopian eunuch who is in effect the founder of the Ethiopian church. The Ethiopian church is one of the oldest churches in Christianity and uh, amongst the oldest churches in Africa along with the Egyptian Coptic church and they both survived 2,000 years and are still significant churches today. So from an African point of view the Ethiopian eunuch is important. Christianity came to Africa not via Europeans initially, but through the early church spreading into North Africa and then further south. The European missionaries came many, many centuries later. Philip also teaches us, as another point, something about different ways of preaching the gospel. In Samaria, one of the key things had been miraculous signs. But here, it was a careful explanation of Scripture, coming along an individual side by side, one to one. So we need to remember that spreading the faith is not always about big meetings and big personalities and gifted evangelists and people who can pray for the sick. Those things are very, very important. But many people come to faith in exactly the way the Ethiopian did. By somebody coming literally alongside them. A friend, someone they meet, with the Bible text in front of them, with a Christian story in their hearts and sharing the faith of Jesus. And my final point today is just to emphasize the fact that the book of Acts all the way through emphasizes the importance of believers baptism, of the act of immersion in water for those who have chosen to believe. It occurs time and time again. It is the pattern of the early church and is a hugely important symbol and marker of active Christian faith. If you've been converted to Christianity, you've come to faith, but you haven't yet been baptized as a believer, let me ask you to think about that as an important consideration and to read the Book of Acts uh, with that thought in mind. As soon as people uh, had believed in Samaria, and in this case the eunuch on the road to Gaza, They were baptised after their true faith had been verified. Baptism remains an important marker of the Christian faith not to be neglected. Well, thanks for listening to this exciting episode, and I hope you'll join us again in the next one where an equally dramatic uh, action is recorded when Saul, the great persecutor of the church, encounters Jesus Christ on another major trade route, the road from Jerusalem to Damascus and then he experiences the Damascus Road conversion. Hope you'll join us then. You have been listening to Martin Charlesworth for Word Online. To find out more visit wordonline.org